In 2011, Dr. Vixton was spearheading the development of a new way to observe the universe. He called this technology the Sonal Tonal Conical Tunnel, or STCT. The STCT was a large curling cornucopia, kind of like the enlarged bell of a phonograph. The STCT was so massive, it had to be ratcheted onto two separate biplanes. One plane supported the large opening of the mechanism, the part that collected all the sound. The other plane held a long winding pipe that funneled the sound and compressed it until it reached a passenger in the second plane. This passenger would then record the sound onto a large tape reel. The two planes would have to fly perfectly side by side in order to keep the pipes of the STCT from snapping. The whole mechanism was affectionately called the bye-bye plane. Dr. Vixton ran tests through the whole year, assisted by his colleague, a young woman named Martha Scribe. On the shortest day of the year, after spending many sleepless nights in an old warehouse analyzing the data, Ms. Scribe noticed a pattern in the frequencies. Mathematically, the waves they were receiving followed the structure of Western music theory. Ms. Scribe spent the following months digging through all of the tapes. She started speeding up the audio and sequencing them together in such a way that the tapes of the past six months, all lumped together, created a short song. Ms. Scribe spent another week writing a comprehensive report on the subject. Dr. Vixton submitted this paper to the American Celestial Science Journal under his own name. The paper was a huge success and rocketed Dr. Vixton to something of an icon in the scientific community. He used his newfound stature to secure funding to expand the collection of these frequencies, as well as developing a way to locate the sound's source. Martha Scribe reportedly left the research team at this time. She is rumored to be privately observing the sounds from a handmade cabin out in the mountains of Southern California. With new funding, Dr. Vixton grounded his sonal tonal conical tunnel at a research center in the deserts of Utah. The bye-bye plane was dismantled and the two planes were sold to a local aerial acrobatics troupe. Dr. Vixton's next step was to develop ways of transmitting sound waves of similar frequencies into deep space. He did this by stitching multiple reels of tape together. Some sources say the tape was more than five miles long if laid out and stretched as far as it could go. Dr. Vixton then ran the tape through a highly modified industrial tape recorder. This recorder was capable of pulling the tape through at insane speeds, over 5,000 feet of tape per minute. He would then turn on the tape machine and have his voice processed by the massive recorder and stored on the tape. When the tape was played back at normal speed, he had a much slower and lower version of his voice. He then retrofitted the STCT to amplify the tape back into deep space. After nearly a year of transmitting, Dr. Vixton finally got a response message. It told a story. In full disclosure, this has been mildly edited for clarity and radio purposes. Now, on to the story. It all starts at the start of all things. Someone messed up, mixed some wrong chemicals or something and, and caused an explosion. This explosion birthed the universe as we know it. The first inklings of matter and energy were chasing each other around in this formless place. Amongst the chaos, a new breed of sentience was born. The Constells. The Constells had no names for each other, and their physical forms resembled what we now call constellations, which is no coincidence. They roamed the cosmos, enjoying its beauty. The Constells especially adored the stars. They began to collect the stars and adorned their bodies with them. 
This is how we are able to understand their shapes today. The, the constellations are just the constell's star-fitted bodies. This led them to barter with the stars. This was the first currency. They exchanged goods and services for their stars. They began playing games, they began gambling. One of the Constell's favorite games involved creating a ring in space. They would scatter the planets and comets and moons and, and anything else they had collected into this ring. Then, they would take their prized planet, typically the largest or most solid planet of their arsenal, and they would flick it into the ring. The goal was to knock all of your opponent's materials out of the ring with your prized planet. The game was a hit. In fact, our very own Milky Way Galaxy was a hotspot for the sport. Saturn was one of the first major stadiums. The sport quickly outgrew the humble Saturn Stadium, but the rings remain as a historical site. Billions of years later, Crash would return to the Milky Way system and teach the game to the children of Earth, who went on to call it Marbles. Of course, the children couldn't play with planets, so they used small glass orbs, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Marbles, as we will call it from now on, was very popular. Nearly every Constell played, and every Constell would watch the large tournaments. A couple of the older beings were curious as to who the best marble shooter in all of the universe was. This led to the creation of the Intra-Universal Marble Association, or the IMA. They held the first annual Universal Marble Tournament. The first tournament was riddled with controversy, primarily over the use of the words first annual in the title. Many argued that you could not have a first annual anything, since this was the first year the event had ever happened. This wasn't an annual event, it was just the first event. Time would tell if it became annual or not. In fact, even the term annual garnered some debate. Was annual just a trip around a sun? If so, what solar system would they use? Which planet? This led to many internalized debates between the Constells, who later created time as a way of standardizing the matter. Regardless of any conflicts involved with the event, the first annual comprehensive marble tournament was a roaring success. All of the Constells in the cosmos showed up to attend the opening ceremony. In honor of the game, and as some would argue, a show of affluence, the IMA took one of their oldest stars and collapsed the core, causing the universe's first supernova. The crowd was ecstatic, collecting the stardust and gases in their hands like children playing in sand at the beach. It was with this that the first tournament began. This was truly the Wild West of marbles. Never before had all the players gathered in one place to take part in the sport. The result was a slew of varied strategies. Some were glass cannon strategies, others have become staples in the modern marble meta. One Constell had one giant planet and several smaller comets, and the idea was that the heavy planet would block the shots from the opponent's shooter, saving the smaller comets. This did not work, and that particular Constell was eliminated after just the first round. Some games ended quickly, one odd strategy losing to another. Some games were much closer, two skilled individuals testing their flicking thumbs. While the odd strategies were hardly consistent, spectators enjoyed the high-risk, high-reward style of play. Many were disappointed when, in the final round, two of the most underwhelming constels were pitted against each other. These individuals were skilled, but not flashy. Many spectators left before the final round even started. Others stayed out of respect for the sport. All who stayed were glad that they did. One of the Constells never missed a single shot for the entirety of the tournament. Not a single shot. 
Every time he flicked that thumb of his, an opponent's planet was kicked out of the ring. He went on to win the tournament, of course, and he earned the first recorded name of any of the Constells. Crash the Cosmic Crackshot. Soon after Crash earned his name, there was a feeding frenzy for Constell names. Everyone was claiming different titles and sounds as their own. By the time of the second annual Universal Marble Tournament, everyone had a name, and everyone knew who Crash was. He quickly became the most well-known Constell in all of the Cosmoverse. That year, he claimed the championship title once again. Crash held on to that title for several billion years. It was known through the universe that Crash was, without a doubt, the best marble shooter there ever was. Sadly, the good times did not last forever. The Intradimensional Marble Association was becoming less and less popular. A competing organization had entered the field, the Interdimensional Marble Association, or the IMA too. While the Intradimensional Marble Association was limited to contestants of our current dimension, the Interdimensional Marble Association was very open to beings from all walks of life. This brought in a flurry of contestants to the world of marbles. While Crash had won the 8 billionth annual Universal Marble Tournament, the achievement was diminished in the cultural eye by the introduction of the first annual Comprehensive Marble Championship. While some of the older Constells criticized the event, again for its use of the term first annual, the FACMC went off smoothly with the support of a reignited fanbase. Many wondered how Crash would hold up against the ethereal and abstract beings from the other dimensions. His thumb held true, and he was on track to shoot another perfect tournament, the third since his first tournament win. Crash was moving into the finals. Here he met what would become his arch nemesis for the rest of his career, a greedy force that went by the name of Gravity. Gravity implemented a strategy nobody had seen before, which is what the IMA2 was hoping for when they created a wider tournament. Gravity was able to maneuver and pull objects closer together. It would use this ability to protect its own planets, pulling them closer to the center of the ring, and to attack the opponent's planets, pushing them out of the ring. Crash went up against Gravity in the finals of the FACMC, and lost. Horribly. The Constells quickly turned their attention away from Crash and to their new champion, Gravity. Crash did not handle the loss well. He became temperamental, causing scenes at various low-level tournaments. By the time the second annual Comprehensive Marble Championship came around, he was in a depressed stupor, intoxicated by dark matter. His showing at the tournament was dismal, placing in the bottom 50% of all of the contenders. Crash has not competed in a marble tournament since then. The tournament concluded, Gravity had won again, and Crash disappeared from the public eye. Sources say he wandered the universe, moving galaxy to galaxy, hustling other constells at marble games. He eventually found himself in the Milky Way system. This had a profound impact on Crash. The Saturn Stadium was one of the first arenas he had ever played marbles in. He decided to stop here getting a job curating the museum that had been set up to commemorate Saturn. He stayed here for a few more billion years. He was content. Soon after Crash set up shop in the Milky Way, a strange occurrence happened on one of the planets. Life, a phenomenon Crash had only seen a handful of times, had appeared on the planet Earth. Crash took it upon himself to assist the new life. He made sure to feed them and facilitate their exposure to the sun in between shifts at the museum. 
the life flourished on Earth, more so than any other life in the universe. As they became more and more self-sufficient, Crash interfered less with the Earthlings, instead choosing just to observe. A couple million years later, he heard something that changed his life. He heard music. The music of Suze Anderson. Some of you may remember Suze Anderson from her legendary fundraiser for the women's suffrage movement. In 1920, Suze Anderson sang for the entirety of the month of August, pausing only for a 15-minute intermission in the middle of the month. This performance set the record for the longest solo performance, with the final tally being exactly 744 hours. In fact, during her performance, the 19th Amendment was put into place, allowing women in America to vote. She was informed of this when she got off the stage on September 1st. Suze Anderson then donated all of the money that she had raised for the women's suffrage movement into a national homeless organization. It was during Suze Anderson's marathon, broadcasted nationally by the radio station KTOP, that Crash the Cosmic Crackshot first encountered music. The immense length of the performance, combined with the power of the new radio waves, allowed the performance to be heard by Crash, who was instantly enamored. Not with Suze Anderson, she got enough attention from her earthly fans, but at this construction of sound waves and frequencies, he had never seen anything like it before. Though he had only heard one month's worth of music, a comparatively short time for someone billions of years old, he began to create and perform his own compositions. While we have no information on whether his music made any impact on the Constell world, it did catch the ear of one Martha Scribe on Earth. You just listened to Newton's Dark Room Presents. This episode was created and performed by Talon Stradley. You can find more information on this show, The Collective, and our other podcasts at newtonsdarkroom.com. You can also follow us on social media at Newton's Dark Room to stay up to date on whatever we're working on. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Produced by Newton's Dark Room.